Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist Wool This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name's Joseph Toscano. I've been hosting the program for over four decades, and I'd like to thank, I don't know if I really want to thank them, uh, Margaret and Beth for doing the program last week for International Women's Day. I understand they played five songs. I can't believe it. 45 years I've been hosting this program, and I've always never played music, but that's what happens when you give the program over to somebody else. They structure it in the way they want to, and that's exactly what we want here at 3CR. Now, what are we going to talk about? Well, as, as you know, the Anarchist World this week is not just about commentary, it's about organising things around that commentary. Now, I'd like to start off with something which may seem particularly insignificant and small, but it does have huge ramifications because their struggle is our struggle. Now, if you live anywhere in Australia, especially in Victoria currently, we're going through a gold-plated construction phase. And what that means is that we're seeing construction occur that is really driving this country into a huge amount of debt. Construction that is really not necessary. And over the last few weeks, we've been in discussion with a tiny little, well, a small group at Beaconsfield that's involved in a struggle to save a historic, a meticulously restored railway house and a Bunya Bunya tree, which is over 140 years old. It's about 22, 23 metres tall, about 20 metres wide at its widest path, girth of around five metres. And I first saw this two weeks ago when uh, I went down there uh, just to have a look at what was happening and uh, began to meet some of the people involved in that year-long struggle to stop this state-sponsored vandalism. That's all it is, because this is the plan. And unfortunately, it's one minute to midnight. This is the plan. They're going to build a road. That's right, a bridge road. Not just a normal road, but a bridge road to try to overcome the minimal tra traffic disruption which occurs at the Beaconsfield uh, railway line, you know, where they've got the uh, gates, the boom gates. It's part of their program, you know, to get rid of all the railway crossings on the Pakenham line. And it's one of the last. And obviously, they're trying to do this in the 
most expensive way possible. Had a good look at the site yesterday with some of the people involved in the Save the Bunya Bunya Tree and Railway House Group, which have been leading this struggle now for over a year. And the Beaconsfield Railway Station is a very particularly, not a busy station, doesn't even have toilets, public toilets. Uh, there's actually an underpass which traffic currently use. That's right, underpass under the railway line, about 100 metres north of this. And the historic railway house and Bunya Bunya tree sit on what is basically the site of where the road is going to be bulldozed over. And things are quite critical because already the state government, through the uh, Railways Removal Authority, is digging exploratory holes around the area. Now, on one side, we've got this uh, protected wetlands, which will be imposed. And on the other side, we've got residents. And these residents in Beaconsfield, which is about 50 kilometres uh, south-east of the Melbourne CBD have been involved in this struggle and they've basically had the runaround and we've now reached a critical stage in their struggle. So you're, gonna, you're asking me, Joe, why should we waste our time being involved in this struggle? Because you see, this is a struggle which is going on around Victoria currently, regional Victoria and city Victoria. Because under the state government's legislation regarding transport hubs, local councils and residents have no rights whatsoever. The state government uh, railways removal authority has, has all extraordinary powers in terms of what it can and cannot do. And this is not a struggle about removing the railway crossing. I mean, the people of Beaconsville are happy about that. But it's a, it's a struggle about how this is done. And to remove a symbol, which is Beaconsville, and that's that Bunya Bunya tree and the historic house, they're like co-joint twins, is a little bit like destroying the Anglican church on the corner of Flinders and Swanson Street. And across Victoria, there have been many struggles regarding inappropriate development, and each and every one has been bulldozed into the ground. People's faces have been rubbed into the dirt who've been involved in these struggles at a legal, legal phase as well as direct action phase by a state government which believes it has ultimate power. And this is about power. It's about who has power in society. Does power in a democratic society rest in the hands of the government of the day, or the state, or the bureaucracy? Or does it ultimately lie in the hands of the people? So this is a fundamental struggle. It's not just about a railway house and a tree. It's much, much, much more than that.
it's a struggle about what type of society we have, who makes decisions, how decisions are made, how decisions are implemented. Obviously, the state government, under the current legislative program, has the legal power to do what it likes around transport hubs, and it continues to do that. But citizens and residents also have rights. They may not be enshrined in legislation, but they have rights in terms of protecting what they have. This is not a struggle about not removing a railway crossing. This is a struggle about how that railway crossing is removed and how residents' concerns are actually taken into account. It is a David and Goliath struggle. We are at one minute to midnight and we've thrown our hat in the ring on the side of the Save the Bunya, Save the Bunya Bunya Tree and Railway House Group. Because they it epitomise that David and Goliath struggle which exists every day as the state continues to enroach on what few rights people have. So what are we going to do about it? Now, obviously, this group has done everything they can. They've worked up the right channels. They've gone to the right people. They've made all the necessary representations. And guess where it's got them? Nowhere. Currently... They're digging holes around the area to find, to test the soil integrity and obviously the strength for this monstrous railway, monstrous, I should say, road bridge, which is not only just an eyesore, but it's much more than that. It's much, much, much more than that. So how can you help? Well, there are a lot of ways we can help, and over the next 48 hours, much of this will be up on the uh, net. But the first thing you can do is you can follow and join the local group's website or Facebook page, Save the Bunya, B-U-N-Y-A, Save the Bunya, Bunya Tree and Railway House Group become a follower. They've just revamped their website in the last 48 hours. So become a follower. Secondly, I was there, as I said yesterday, and I took a number of pictures. And most of these pictures will be up on a, a new Facebook page, which we will create in the next 48 hours, called Friends. That's right, Friends of the SAVE, the Bunya Bunya Tree and Railway House group. Because they do need friends. And they need friends with a bit of muscle. Because currently, they've been pushed around like willow trees in a storm. But as you know, willow trees, they may be pushed around, but they don't fall over. So... 
join that particular group. Now, the next thing we will be doing, and you may find this, because you need a little bit of humour. When you're fighting the state, especially at this critical juncture in time in, in a particular campaign, you need a bit of humour. Now, the Bunya Bunya tree is on open land. It is not on private land. It is on open railway land. And currently I've got uh, legal people looking at the actual, whether it's railway land, whether it's crown land, what, what the land is, because that makes a big difference in terms of legal challenges. But it's situated at 20 Beaconsfield Avenue, Beaconsfield. Can't miss it. If you take a train to the Beaconsfield station, you look to the right as you come out and you'll see it 100 metres away. We're creating a new hashtag in the next 24 hours called Hug the Bunya Bunya. And that's it. Hug the Bunya Bunya. And you'll already see in the pictures which we'll put up in the next 48 hours on the, on the new web page. Oh, sorry, on the new Facebook page. You'll see people hugging the Bunya Bunya. And we want you, that's right, you, not just to listen, not just to say tuck tuck to the state-sponsored vandalism, and that's all it is, state-sponsored vandalism. But we want you to go there, hug the tree, take a picture, put it on your Facebook page, make it go viral. Because the only way that this tree and historic house are going to be saved is by shaming the state government into not carrying out the current plans. They need to be shamed, and there is nothing more shameful than men, women and children hugging this tree and disseminating those photographs around the country. As I said before, this is not just about a local struggle. It's about a struggle that residents around the country are carrying out regarding inappropriate and gold-plated development, which helps construction companies and construction workers. But ultimately, it helps no one because it destroys the very environment that people need in order to relax, in order to create community. This is, to us, it may seem small. But to the people involved, it's huge. And without our support, nothing will change. To me, this is a pivotal struggle. It's a pivotal moment in Australian history. This little tree, this little railway house, is a pivotal moment because it's a moment when people begin to fight back. It reminds me of the situation of the, when the Bjelke-Peterson government was in power in Queensland when they destroyed this historic building in the centre of the city. And that, was, that became the beginning and the end of the Bjelke regime, Bjelke-Peterson regime. And to a significant degree, we now have a government that's been re-elected which believes at the, in Victoria that it is unassailable. We have an opposition which has been white-anted by some of the most extremist groups in our society. So there's no opposition. 
The third thing I'd like you to think about is the 2nd of April. The 2nd of April is Vroom Vroom Day, Grand Prix Day. If you're sick and tired of the noise and the hullabaloo about some cars going around a track, well then, this is a great chance to join the people of Beaconsfield, the people of Save the Bunya Bunya Tree and Railway House Group at a picnic. That's right, bring your own food and drinks at a picnic at the site of the Bunya Bunya Tree. Midday, Sunday, the 2nd of April. You don't have to ring anybody. Just turn up on the day. Midday, Sunday, the 2nd of April. The more people there, the better. Because if only, if, you know, 20 or 30 people turn up, nothing's going to change. If 100 or 200 people turn up, people begin to take notice. If a few thousand people turn up, we've crossed the Rubicon. And as I said before, it's not just about one little local struggle. It's about what right citizens have, what right residents have in this country. Do we elect representatives at each election to make decisions for the corporate sector, to enrich a shrinking minority. They have the legal system on their side. They have the police on their side. But they don't have the public on their side. And a public which refuses to become involved, which sits on the sideline and says, tut, tut, which thinks being on virtual media is the be-all and end-all of struggle, is a public that will lose consistently. Remember, apathy is the aphrodisiac of those who exercise power in this country. So once again, three things you can do, and you can start doing them today. You can become a friend of the Save the Bunya Bunya Tree and Railway House Facebook page. Now, you can become a friend, I like this, a bit of a tautology here, a friend of the Friends of the Bunya Bunya Tree and, and Railway House group. You can do that next 48 hours. You can make your way down to Beaconsfield, 20 Beaconsfield Avenue Beaconsfield, just uh, round the corner. Well, just near the railway station. And uh, have a hug the tree. Have a picture taken. Take a friend. Have a picture taken. Put it on your Facebook page. Put it on your network. Let your friends know. Let's it, let it become viral. Hashtag hug the bunya bunya. Or you can always turn up at the picnic at midday on Sunday, the 2nd of April, midday. If you're sick and tired of the vroom vroom, the Grand Prix, 
the noise, especially if you live within 10 k's of the uh, site at Albert Park, well, this is a great chance to uh, get away from the noise and become involved in a local campaign which has regional and national implications. And that what it, that's what it is. Every local struggle has regional and national implications. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the community radio network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. So, let's move on. Let's move on. Now, as I said before, the Anarchist World this week is not just about commentary. It's about organising events to uh, reinforce that commentary and actually make a difference. Now, I'm sure most listeners would have no idea about the Paris Commune and that the 18th of March, a few days' time, marks the 152nd anniversary of the worst of the first workers' government in human history. Now, this evening, that's Wednesday, the 15th of March, at 6.30pm, we start together. At 7pm, the presentation starts. I'll be doing a presentation on the Paris Commune. But more importantly, on the significance of the Paris Commune to Australians, 150 two years. So what's so important about the Paris Commune? What was it all about? Why don't we know about it in our history? Why bother wasting an evening talking about it? In an era where there is an increasing concentration of power in the hands of a minuscule minority, the 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, and a concentration of wealth in fewer and fewer hands, the lessons that we learnt from a popularly led, radical, anti-capitalist revolution are as relevant today as they were in 1871. That's right. They're as relevant today as they were in 1871. So what's the Paris Commune all about? It's a long convoluted history, which I won't go into the program today, but which I will explain tonight. And if you can't make it tonight, the presentation will be videoed, so we will be able to put that up in the next uh, week or so. And then also be in the next few days there'll be a um, a written account of the presentation which will be available to people through our web pages and Facebook pages. So what's important about the Paris Commune? Well, for far too long, human beings have been grappling with the axis of evil. That's right, the axis of evil. And I'm not talking about Syria, Iran, and North Korea. I'm talking an axis of evil which is been part and parcel of human history since time immemorial. Since when we first created agricultural communities. An axis of evil based on the concept of God, king and country. And when I talk about God, I'm not talking about people's individual beliefs, but I'm talking about organised religion. When I'm talking about king, I'm not talking necessarily about 
hereditary monarchs, but I'm talking about people in authority, whether they're self-appointed as dictators or elected, who use state power to railroad changes which are against the national and regional interests. And when I talk about country, I talk about the nationalism which accompanies the sovereign nation state and nationalism which we're seeing today play out in the Ukraine in Ukraine and Russia and which we will see in our part of the world as we uh, organize to uh, to uh, oh, what is that what is happening in the world today it's unbelievable what is happening in the world today what is that now that is a cardinal sin you know that? That is a cardinal sin. You never leave a mobile phone on when you're broadcasting. That's the way it is. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Now, let's go back to the Paris Commune. So what happened? In 1871, after a series of disastrous wars, the people of Paris, on the 18th of March, 18. 71 declared the Paris Commune. And the Paris concept, the Commune, it just means local municipality. It was a government which is was not based on religion. It was not based on hereditary power. And it was not based on, you know, devotion to the nation state. On the 18th of March, after the Versailles government, the French Republic attempted to remove cannons from Paris so they could actually be overrun. I'll give you a little bit of background. Now, after a series of disastrous wars against uh, Prussia and the formation of a republic after the empire collapsed on the 2nd of March, 18... Sorry, on the 2nd... Yeah, on the 2nd of... Um, 2nd of March, when the empire collapsed in 1870, a republican government was formed, and within a few weeks that republican government had ceded to the Prussians, modern-day German. And there were three demands made. One repayment of about $500 billion in Australian dollars today too, to cede two provinces on the borders of France and uh, Germany, that was Alsace and Lorraine, and three, and this is the uh, fascinating thing is, that the Versailles, the government based in Versailles would actually take over Paris from the communards, from the people of Paris. Obviously, Otto von, Mis von Bismarck, the Chancellor of uh, Prussia didn't want to waste good Prussian troops trying to liberate, you know, trying to uh, take over Paris. And he felt, oh, well, let the French kill the French. So on the 18th of March, 1871, when 4,000 French troops attempted to take over the cannons at Montmartre, which is a suburb of uh, Paris, the women of Montmartre, who were very prominent in the Paris Commune, draped their bodies over the cannons and refused to move. 
Versailles French troops refused to shoot their countrywomen and deserted and shot their general and joined the commune. Bismarck allowed the Versailles government to reorganise the French military. And two weeks later, a siege began, which lasted over 10 weeks. But the people of Paris, in the interim, had elected 80 representatives as their representatives, as their independent commune. And they made a number of radical decisions. The first decision was to abolish conscription, abolish the armed forces, and set up a National Guard. And over 400,000 Parisians enlisted in this National Guard, which was formed of 232 battalions. At the same time, a women's battalion was formed. Their policies were anti-capitalist. One of the first things they did was put a moratorium on debt foreclosures for three years. They stopped interest being um, uh, charged on debt. Any factories that had been abandoned by their owners, workers' cooperatives were set up within these factories. Pawn shops were closed down. And the tax burden was redistributed. At the same time, the guillotine was abolished and publicly burnt in the streets. A decision was made to introduce equal pay for men and women. And the first group which benefited were teachers. As far as um, significant appointments were concerned, whether the judicial, educational, structural, appointments were not to be made by representatives, they were to be made through elections. So there were significant changes occurring in the midst of the siege where the Versailles government was trying to starve the people of Paris into submission. In the next 10 weeks, over 10,000 Parisians died defending the commune, defending the gains they had made. After 10 weeks, the Versailles troops were able to break through and in the next week, over 30,000 Parisians were summarily executed for daring, daring to resist the Republican government in Versailles who were working on behalf of the Prussian occupiers. 30,000 summarily executed. A British eyewitness talked about, said, they fought like devils. The women fought much, much better than the men. I had the pain of seeing 52 shot dead, although they had been disarmed and had surrendered. And this went out across the city. Men, women, children. 
the funeral pyres of the bodies which were piled up and burnt publicly in the streets of Paris, the stench lasted for weeks. 5,000 of the communards were deported to Numia, a French penal colony 3,000 kilometres from the, from the Australian, Australian east coast. Another 40,000 were imprisoned. And it wasn't until 10 years later that a general amnesty, a pardon, was given to everybody who was involved in the commune. Everybody knows about the French Revolution and the reign of terror, but more people died in that one week, summarily executed, for trying to create a new society through the strictures of religion, rulers and sovereign borders than died during the whole French Revolution. So if you're interested in following this story up, there's a presentation tonight at the Footscray Hotel. Starting at uh, 6.30 we'll be there, have a drink. Presentation will start at 7. It will be videotaped. It will be available a week or two later. And also there'll be a written uh, presentation up on the website in the next few uh, weeks. So um, we encourage you to um, come along and learn about the Australian connections to the Paris Commune because there is huge Australian connections to the Paris Commune and the influence the communards who escaped or were pardoned in 1879-1880 had on the Australian radical movement of the 1890s and the formation of the Australian trade union movement, especially amongst unskilled workers. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. You can get further information by going to the websites, uh, Anarchist World this week, uh, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests, info at pibsy.net, no. And the work, it just goes on and on, you know. My personal Facebook page, Joseph Toscano. Lots of stuff happening. Now, talking about stuff happening, West Papua. Now, just in case you don't know, West Papua is less than 70 kilometres from the Australian coastline. And what was has happened in West Papua and continues to happen in West Papua it's just an extraordinary situation which we, as a country, have shown no interest in. Over 500,000 people have died directly and indirectly during the last 60 years of Indonesian occupation of West Papua. From an indigenous population of a little over a million, Today in West Papua, there is one Indonesian soldier for every West Papuan male stationed in the country. People continue to disappear almost on a daily basis and their bodies, mutilated bodies, turn up weeks later. The West Papuan independence movement continues to be involved in an armed struggle in West Papua 
as well as a diplomatic struggle outside of West Papua for independence. One of the greatest highlights of my life was meeting West Papuan activists who'd come to this country as refugees and assisting them to set up the West Papuan office here in Melbourne. Now, the West Papuan office in Melbourne has been in existence for almost over eight years, almost nine years. And it is their courtesy of people like you. Not the rich and famous, not the politicians, not our political representatives, but people like you who pay the rent for the West Papuan office. It's a little bit like this Banya Banya and Railway House struggle in Beaconsfield. We're not interested in taking over a struggle. We're interested in supporting people. And the way we support the West Papuan independence struggle is to pay the rent so they actually have space where they can organise their resistance. It's not our role as members of the West Papuan Rent Collective to tell them how to, do, how to run their struggle. That's their role. Our role is to provide the infrastructure which is required to run that struggle. Now, obviously, any voluntary movement will run into difficulties as time goes on, especially when money, that's right, M-O-N-E-Y, is involved. Now, we believed the West Papuans should have an office in the city, not in some back lane somewhere. So the Rent Collective has been paying the rent for an office at 838 Collins Street in Docklands, which acts in many ways as a de facto embassy. That's right. It's a coordination centre for diplomatic efforts around the world. Because ultimately, West, West, whether West Papuan independence occurs or not, is dependent on their ability to get other nation states to support their struggle. They know they would never win an armed struggle against the might of the Indonesian authorities. But they do know they have the moral force on their side. Unfortunately, in Australia, West Papua is a no-no. No-no. I'll give you an example. I've spoken about this before, but I'll, I'll give you an example. A number of years ago, about six or seven years ago, a, a DLP senator in the, uh, in the Australian Senate wanted to hold a condolence motion for a West Papuan uh, supporter in Darwin who'd been killed in a uh, road traffic accident. And the word was West Papua was placed in that condolence motion in the Senate. Both the government of the day and the opposition refused to support the condolence motion unless the word West Papua was removed from the condolence motion. And nothing has changed. Now, we heard a minister from the Albanese-led Labor government talk about her concern 
about people, refugees and asylum seekers from China and uh, Iran being followed by security agents in this country from those countries. Well, West Papuan activists have been followed, harassed, photographed for decades. And successive Australian governments have taken no interest in the activities of the Indonesian Secret Service in this country on sovereign soil. So, if you're interested in helping the West Papuan Rent Collective, and we do need another maybe 14 new members, we usually like to have about 70 because that covers the cost. Uh, every few months we have issues, people die, they move on, they do different things in life. It's a dollar a day, very simple, a dollar a day, a dollar a day. One and a half cups of coffee a week at, a, at your local coffee shop, a dollar a day. For a dollar a day, you become a member of the West Papuan Rent Collective, and what does that give you? Everybody wants something in return, don't they? Well, not members of the West Papuan Rent Collective, but in a joking manner, you get a warm glow in your heart, and you also get access to three, one, two, three, West Papuan meals. If you join us at the West Papuan Rent Collective gatherings, there's three a year, you're all welcome to them. You don't have to be a member of the West Papuan Rent Collective. There's three a year. The next one will be on Sunday. That's right, the 26th of March. Sunday, the 26th of March. Just around the corner. Ten days away. Eleven days away. Sunday, the 26th of March. 1pm. If you're a member of the Rent Collective, free food. If not, there's a small charge for lunch. Starts at 1pm. Lunch from 1 to 2 Speakers from two to three, you want to find out who's speaking about what, just go to their page, West Parkland, you know, office, and it'll all come up, it's all there. And at three o'clock we'll have the very famous auctions which I conduct. And this year we've got, I mean, this gathering, the first for 2023, we've got some extraordinary um, auction items. Every cent collected from the auction goes to the pay the rent. We've got uh, some West Papuan tote bags. We've got some beautiful, beautiful hand crocheted rugs by um, 3CR's very own Jan Bartlett, Tuesday home time too. We've got a uh, David McKenzie original stool made out of Victorian mounted ash which comes from the around the Buchanan Caves. Got a beautiful picture of a West Papuan um, indigenous uh, bird and a few other bits and pieces. Oh, yes, and I almost forgot the uh, Anarchist World This Week t shirts. I'll be auctioning one off, and it'll be the only, there's that very few left now, I think about 15 left. And I'll be actually, this will be the only one which I will sign. So, and there's a few other bits and pieces. So, look, it'll be a great afternoon, but the important thing is it's there to uh, support the West Papua independence movement. It's there to ensure they have an office from which they can conduct their struggle. And uh, if you want to learn more about the West Papua Rent Collective, you can go to their website or you can give me a call on 0439 395 489. That's $365 a year. 
or you can go, you can email me at info at pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net or anarchistage at yahoo.com. So it's all there. So put that in your diary. As I said, lots of things happening. You've got the um, Paris Commune presentation this evening at the Footscray Hotel. You've got the West Papuan Rent Collective uh, gathering on the 26th of March. You've got the Hug the Banya Banya hashtag. You can wander down there and get your picture taken and hugging that tree. You've got the picnic at midday on the 2nd of April. And obviously there'll be lots of things happening. And uh, let's move on. Public housing. The lynching of public housing. Now, you've seen the crocodile tears from our politicians and our corporate leaders and the philanthropic, philanthropic sector about housing. There's stories ad nauseum about the price of housing, increasing rents, increasing homelessness, the difficulty of accessing public housing. Well, boys and girls, this is not new. This is not new. What we've seen around this country is in one way or another the privatisation of the public housing sector and the responsibility, the responsibility of public housing has been transferred to the private sector. And that's why there's so few people now talking or promoting public housing in this country. Even the Prime Minister of this country, who at the age of 12 was involved in a rent strike because he and his mother lived in public housing which was going to be privatised, now talks about privatised public housing. That's how bad the situation is. Let's talk about why public housing is important and why public housing is everybody's business. Life in a capitalist society, a private investment for private profit society, is all about competition. And when there is no competition in the private sector, you get the mess we have with renting and home ownership and homelessness. It's all interconnected. All interconnected. A strong public housing sector means fewer people need to rent in the private marketplace. As the number of people increase in the public housing sector, rents will decrease. Competition between a government-owned sector and private corporations. Then you have the calorie that has rents decrease, prices at the lower end of the market decrease. As prices decrease, more young people can enter, or people who need a home and can't buy one can enter the home market. At the same time, public housing provides stability, which rental housing does not provide private rental housing. 
Private housing rent, public housing rents are capped at 25%. But more importantly, it gives the opportunity for children to have a stable environment where they go to the same schools, they get the same friends, they go to the same sporting clubs, they go to the same social thing. So you have an interaction. And especially if you have a public housing sector which is based on spot purchasing apartments and houses around the state as occurred in Victoria in the 1980s and which continue, we continue to have these homes which are inhabited by people for 30 to 40 years who've grown up families and these families have moved on. Like Mr Albanese. He's moved on, hasn't he, from public housing to the Prime Minister of the country. So why isn't anybody talking about public housing? Why is it all about community housing, affordable housing, social housing, which are all privately owned? It's about ideology. Now, in Victoria, I'm familiar with the figures. The revenue from sales tax on when you buy a new home is about between six to seven billion dollars. Now if that money was quarantined for a spot purchasing program around the state, a public housing spot purchasing program, you could house 100,000 Victorians in one year. That's the end of the waiting list. I mean, public housing should be available to people who cannot afford to buy in the private market who do not wish to pay private landlords or landladies rent. They prefer to make a contribution to the government. And let's not forget that if rents are capped at 25% in public housing and cost 30, 40, 50% in private housing, there is a huge amount of money which is released back into the economy to help not just the small business sector but also even the corporate sector. They make a buck out of it. So a strong public housing sector is a win-win situation for everybody, including the very rich, because they don't actually have to rely on private security you know, to maintain their ill-gotten gains. Simple. It incre improves security, decreases crime, decreases, you know, uh, childhood abuse. Yes, that's right. Gives people stability in the early stages of their lives. Ensures that different sections of society interact. That's a key thing. It's not about putting people in huge blocks in the middle of nowhere. It's about a spot purchasing program. It's a little bit like the current Victorian, you know, fantasy regarding, you know, a gold-plated construction as far as level crossing removals are concerned. Now, I do encourage you, if you don't use the public train sector, to have a look at what I'm talking about. I mean, there's different ways of doing the same thing. Some cost more, some cost less. Some are more effective, some are less effective. And there is nothing less effective than privatising essential services. We saw this in aged care. 
We see it in early childhood development. We see it in the public housing sector. We see it in essential services. We see it in the privatisation of water, electricity, gas. The list goes on and on. Every time successful, profit-producing public entities are given away to the private sector, we see a deterioration in services and, more importantly, an inability of people to access the same services through the private sector. So, as I said before, Public housing is a win-win situation for everybody. As I said before, on the Anarchist World this week, we don't just talk about it. We're involved in the Public Housing Everybody's Business campaign, Defend and Extend Public Housing. Every week, on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House, we have a vigil. Every week. This month, it'll be at midday on Thursday. Next month, we're going to change our times because we want more people to attend. So on the first Wednesday and the last Wednesday of the month, we'll be having our vigil from 6 to 7pm. And on the two Thursdays in between, it'll be the midday vigil. So hopefully people who do work, a part of the wage slavery, who wish to attend will now be able to attend 6 to 7pm. But this is starts in April. So it'll be the first Wednesday in April. All right. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. My name is Joseph Toscano. Lots of things to do. Go to the Facebook page, um, Joseph Toscano, YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, website, um, public in- again, website, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. You can also go to Facebook page, Public Housing Everybody's Business. The list just goes on and on and on. And if you're really bored you can always give me a ring on 0439 395 489. Leave a message or you can email us at info at pipsy.net or anarchistage at yahoo.com. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. It's been a pleasure speaking to you, but it's not enough speaking. It's not enough giving commentary. It's not enough having, you know, wise cracks. What we need to do is be involved in action. We're involved in action. We encourage you to join us. We encourage you to join other groups because ultimately change comes when you make the effort to make that change occur. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger! Become a 3CR subscriber today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03-9419-8377. Be a part of your community radio station. 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.